Let's pray. We're going to be speaking about the Holy Spirit tonight. So why don't we just invite the Holy Spirit into our own lives afresh right now? Come, God. Please fill us afresh with your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now feel free to stay just in that place if you want. You're really, really welcome. Um, seems to me that, that as a church right now, and I, I know we've got a bunch of visitors, but, but as a church right now, we're in quite an exciting place. We've, we've been living with this... Um, I feel like I'm quite loud, Andy. Sorry, I, I know I'm complaining all the time. But I, um, we're, we're living with this, this sense of call as a church to uh, start to think about this region as our parish and all the people who live in this region as being somehow their destiny is somehow linked with our destiny and and we've been living with that for a few years and trying to figure out what that means for us and one of the things it means is that we've started to to fling out extra expressions of our church into other places around Aberdeenshire Uh, and so now we meet in five different places every Sunday and there's another two places that we're going to start over the next year Uh, and uh, God has been so faithful to us and and so much exciting stuff has happened and a whole bunch of people have come to faith and it seems to me that if we are going to properly live up to our call to put the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in front of every man, woman and child in this whole region, half a million people, then there is a piece of the jigsaw that is yet to fall into place. And the piece that we haven't yet got, that we really, really need, is that each one of us individually, personally, needs to receive afresh the commission from Jesus to be a witness. Each of us individually needs to realise again that Jesus is calling us to be open about our faith, to share our faith with other people. Um, Interestingly, up until December, I would have said that as a church we had a really, really long way to go. And then in December we had all of our Christmas services and loads of Christmas activities across all of our sites. And amazingly, a whole bunch of you invited your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, and we had the best Christmas we've ever had by a country mile in terms of the number of visitors being around our stuff. And so hundreds and hundreds of people who've never had a connection with our church, perhaps never had a connection with any church, were around our Christmas stuff because you went public with your faith. And so part of me just wants to say, do you know what, that thing that happened there, whatever it was that God did in our hearts over December, Lord, please will you do that more? You know, please will you do that again and again and again? Please will we see all of us being compelled to be open about our faith? Please, God. And I've been reflecting on the early church in the book of Acts. And what you see is that they're completely irrepressible when it comes to speaking about what Jesus has done. The religious authorities try literally everything to shut them up. You know, imprisonment, flogging, chains, uh, stoning some of them to death. They, they chase them from city to city to city. They chase them from country to country. And wherever they go, it's like, even if you kill us, well, no, probably killing them would stop it, but nothing else would stop us just communicating what Jesus has done in our lives. We just can't help it. It's impossible for them to hold it in. The way the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, is this. 
he says, I feel compelled to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And it seems to me that he's just describing a feeling that they were all experiencing. They're all just going, I'm compelled. I cannot help it. And so we're going to start a new series tonight and probably revisit it over and over again over the next year or so. Just trying to immerse ourselves in their story. Because I want this to be normal. You know, the reality is what's normal at the moment is, as Hazel, uh, the site pastor here, said just before Christmas, that 85% of British Christians have absolutely no intention of inviting anyone to church. So that's normal. It's normal for us as Christians in the UK to keep our mouths shut. And so I want us to kind of immerse ourselves in this story and and put ourselves in their place and see what we can learn about how do you become irrepressible? How do you become contagious? How do you get to a place where you literally can't help speaking about the Lord Jesus? And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to start off with the day of Pentecost because it seems to me that at that moment, in Acts chapter 2, they went from utter timidity to temerity. I think that's a word, isn't it? Temer- timidity to temerity. And it all happens on the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to read from verse 1. It's going to come up on the screen, and also it'll be in your Bible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, A sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said that they'd had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And so he goes on. Great sermon, isn't it? I've never started a sermon. These people are not drunk. Uh, Well, I thought it was funny. Anyway, so I was driving along the Beach Boulevard uh, uh, last week, and and it was when all the storms were on, and I've never seen the sea so ferocious. It was 
pure white. There was sand all over the road. the power and the ferocity of the the sea was just absolutely extraordinary. And as I looked out to sea, there was a boy bobbing up and down in the sea. When I say boy, I mean I don't mean ah, help me, help me. I mean uh, uh, boy, boy. You still say those words the same, don't you? But they mean different things. B u o y. Anyway, it's 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 a big boy, but it's bobbing around. In fact, it's being thrown around by the, the sheer power of the North Sea. And even though it's a massive thing, it looks completely pathetic in contrast to the, the pressure and the power of these waves. And it seems to me that that's a picture of how so many of us feel in the Christian life, especially when it comes to sharing our faith. That we are under the, the power of all kinds of forces that make us feel completely out of control and are seeking to... Um, to direct our behaviour and our conversations and our thought patterns. And some of those pressures come from within. So they're things like fear and um, uh, the need for approval and selfishness and insecurity and ambition and all of those things. We just want to be liked. And so we have all of that pressure coming from within us trying to control our behaviour and our words. And then we also have a whole bunch of other pressure that comes from outside. Pressure from our society, from political correctness, from politicians, from society, from the media, from our friends and family. Uh, All of that pressure, kind of spoken and and recognised pressure and a whole bunch of other pressure that we never really talk about but is clearly there is seeking to control us and to suppress us and to keep our mouths closed. We can't avoid that pressure. We can't escape that pressure. It'll always be there, this side of eternity. So the question is not how do we escape that pressure. The question is this. What will we allow to be the compelling power in our lives? What will we allow to dictate and control our behaviour and the words that we speak? What's absolutely clear in the book of Acts is up until this point, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, their world has been getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So at one point, it was quite a cool thing to hang out with Jesus. You know, there were thousands of people hanging out with Jesus. And if you were one of the disciples, one of the 12, then actually, do you know what? Being on the inner circle of that was something of some prestige. You know, it was like, wow, this is amazing. And, and you could clearly say in public, I follow Jesus. But then Jesus was executed And from that point on, they're living in fear. Who's going to be next? When is there going to be a knock at the door? And so the thousands have all vanished. And the numbers have reduced right down to 120 people. And they're they're locked in an upper room. And they're afraid. And then the spirit is poured out. And it's like a hurricane enters the room. Uh, followed by an explosion of fire. And in an instant, all of the power of all of those forces that are rallied against them are no match for the power of God within them. And the power of God surges into their lives, into their bodies, and pushes them out into the street. The question is, 
How do we break out of this upper room that we've constructed for ourselves? How do we break out? How do we burst out of, of this room that all of these forces and pressures are pushing us into? And the answer is, we cry out to God for more of his spirit. That, that God in power would come and, and surge into our lives and become the compelling power in our lives that compels us to speak. So what I want to do tonight is just uh, really briefly touch on three different things that might happen when we receive afresh the power of God. But before I do that, I just wanted to just take a, a minute or two, well, I say a minute or two, I mean more than that, obviously, uh, to just bust a few myths about this whole thing about sharing our faith, because I think it's in this text. The first myth is that God will do his own publicity. I love stories of revival. I don't know about you. I love hearing stories of revival. Maybe it's because we live in a city and in an area that has had several revivals over the centuries. Moments when the power and the glory of God comes on a community, not just on the church, but on the, on the geography. And as the power of God comes, people feel compelled to straighten themselves out with God. You know, I'm thinking about moments like the, in 1949, the Hebridean revival, where, where people were in their homes and uh, at 10 o'clock at night, immediately, instantaneously, spontaneously, they felt compelled to leave their homes and to head towards the church. And as they were heading towards the church, the closer they got to the church, the, the greater they came under the, the weight of the glory of God to the degree that lots of people never even made it to the church. And you could have cycled along the road and you could have seen people just kneeling by the side of the road confessing their sins to God and yet nobody had said anything to them there's a, a brilliant story about uh, uh, um, one particular village where the power of God came to such a degree that people were afraid for their lives and they all made their way to the police station spontaneously as if the police would be able to sort of sort it all out for them I love that I want that I've got a book on my shelf at home called When God Walked the Land and it's about a revival that happened in 1859 and uh, 1860 in Aberdeen and, and all the way up the, the coast, all the way along the Murray coast. It was absolutely amazing. God walked the land. But what's brilliant about revival stories is that they're exceptional. And the thing about exceptional stories is that they're the exception, aren't they? It's not the normal way that God works. It's the same, you know, you could say, uh, what makes them extraordinary is that they're out of the ordinary. And what actually normally happens is that God calls us to carry out his publicity for him. The author of this passage here in uh, his earlier book, book, earlier book, the book of Luke, Uh, chapter 24 verse 46 Jesus is telling his disciples repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem so he's saying everyone is going to hear about the good news of Jesus now how is that going to happen what is his explanation for how it happens does he say and there's going to be a burning bush in every village does he say there's going to be an angelic visitation in every town does he say there's going to be a divine apparition for every individual no he doesn't what he says in the very next verse is you are witnesses that's his plan 
your witnesses. He says again in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His plan A and probably his plan B and his plan C is us. He's calling us. How will my next door neighbour or my swimming instructor or my hairstylist or my whatever it is, how will they hear unless we tell them, how, unless I tell them, the people in my life? That's myth number one. Myth number two, it's not really me. You, you might want to say, well, I understand that communicating the gospel is a good thing and some people seem to do it really well. Uh, and, you know, some people, it's like they, they could sell ice to the Eskimos. You know, it's like it's just what their gifting is. And, and they're confident people and they've been Christians for a while and they know their Bibles well. And, you know, they're extroverts. And so they're really well suited to that kind of thing. But me, I'm an introvert and I don't like talking to people I don't know. And I find it difficult talking about Jesus. And whenever I do, my tongue gets tied and I get all confused and I start to sweat and it all goes badly. It's not really me. To which I respond, actually, I don't think it was really them either. You know, Peter, James, and John and, the, and their friends, they were not the obvious choice for this mission. It says in Luke 24, they were startled and frightened. This is what they were like before this moment. Startled, frightened, and then he asks them one of the last questions that Jesus asks to his disciples before he ascends to be with his father, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? So they're scared, they're frightened, they're doubting, they're not the obvious choice. I'm not let off the hook because of my personality type, because uh, I don't like talking to people about Jesus, because I don't find it easy it's a calling for all of us. And in fact, that's what you see in verse 1 of our passage. Who was there? They were all together in one place. They were all together. All of them were there. Who was filled with the Holy Spirit? Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Who began to speak the wonders of God? All of them. No one missed out. No one was let off the hook. They all went. They all spoke the wonders of God. Myth number three. You're either an out there person or an in here person. And I fully recognize that I'm preaching to the choir here, as it were. But I've heard lots of people say, well, you see what you do in church. You know, like singing and, and praying for each other and laying hands on each other. That's... A, that's not really my cup of tea. You know, that's a bit of, that's, that's like for softies. Church, church is for, for softies. And it's lovely that you do that, and it's lovely that, that that's what you enjoy. But I'm an out there sort of a person. I'm an evangelist. God's calling me to be a pioneer. God's calling me not so much to be in the church, but to take the church to the world. He's calling me to be out there. As if there was a choice. As if we were each made for one or the other. In the New Testament, Clearly, the two belong together. Gathering together and then reaching out. Gathering together and then reaching out. The early church would never have dreamed of going out there to communicate the gospel 
unless they'd first of all gathered together in prayer, in worship, in fasting, in laying hands on one another, in petitioning God for more of his power and more of his boldness. And you can see that again and again in scripture. Again, Luke 24, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. These are the people who went out to communicate the gospel to the entire known world. They worshipped him with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. And then uh, verse 1 of our passage here. They were all together in one place. And then they were filled with the Spirit. They went out onto the streets. They preached the gospel. 3,000 people became Christians, which is quite a lot by any uh, measurement that you want to take. And then what was the next thing that they did, having, having seen those extraordinary numbers come to faith? They gathered together again. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer gathering together. They wouldn't have dreamt of just being out there without taking those moments to just rest in God's presence, to to pray together, to love and adore Jesus together, to encounter Jesus, to encounter the presence of the Spirit in order that they would be fired up again to go, empowered to go. So in other words, if you're going to a desk tomorrow or a classroom or a hospital or or a school gate or a gym or a hair salon tomorrow you need to be here today you need to gather in in order that you can go out okay so that's just me knocking over a few little objections let's look at what could we expect when the power of God comes. When we're filled with the Spirit, what could we expect? First of all, we could expect a dramatic change. I think we all know at this time of year that changing your life is really hard, isn't it? Like turning over a new leaf is much harder than we would like it to be. Uh, I'm reading, um, there's there's an app that you can download that comes from HTB called Bible in One Year. Hands up if you've downloaded that. Anyone? Okay. If you're looking for a Bible reading program, it's absolutely second to none. It's fantastic. Uh, it even has the Bible passages come up for you when you click on the thing. It gives you a bit of Psalms and Proverbs, a bit of the New Testament, and then a bit of the Old Testament. And if you read it every day, you read the whole Bible in a year, and it's fantastic. And as well as that, you get a little bit by Nicky Gumbel uh, just to kind of help you to understand what the passage is about. And you can even press play, and he'll read his commentary to you. It's a wonderful thing. Really recommend it. You're looking so, I don't know, like stunned. Is it? Anyway. So, anyway, the point is, Nicky Gumbel was talking, I think it may have been on the 1st of January, he was talking about, he belongs to a gym. And at the gym, just getting towards the end of December, they wheel in all of these extra bits of equipment into the gym. You know, like extra treadmills, extra um, rowing machines, other instruments of torture. They bring them all in. And he was spe- speaking to the guy, I think. He was saying, hey, what's the deal here? You can't really fit all this equipment into the room. It's really uncomfortable. It's really squashed in. Why do we need all this stuff? And he said, oh, just you wait. Uh, and then, of course, January the 1st comes around. Everyone's really busy on the treadmill. Is that what you're doing on a treadmill? I've no idea. I've never been on one. But, you know, they're using all this equipment. And then within a week, 
they're packing it all away again. They're taking all these bits of equipment away, just packing it away. Won't bring that out again until December the 30th or whatever next year. Changing your life is really hard. And many of us as Christians live with a level of resignation in the same way that we're resigned to not really being a member of a gym, you know, or, or whatever it is. We say, well, do you know, probably this, this is what it is to be a Christian. This is what I'm used to. You know, I've longed for more, but to be honest, this is it. It's this hard. I'll always find it this difficult to communicate the gospel. I'm just kind of stuck with how it is. And for all of us who feel in that place of just being resigned to being a rubbish evangelist, just notice this one word in verse 2. It's a great word. You could even underline it if you're that kind of a person. Suddenly, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven. And here's the thing. That's all it took. That one moment was all it took. One touch from the king really could change everything. I don't know about you, but I'm longing for that, to be transformed. And we're going to pray for a whole bunch of people in a moment. And who's to say that that might not happen to you? I'm not making any promises, but what if we prayed for all of us tonight and one or two people were utterly transformed to the point where they were utterly compelled to communicate the gospel to everyone they met for the rest of their lives because they'd experienced the suddenly. Why wouldn't we just ask? You know, why wouldn't we just say, God, please can we have that? A dramatic change. We could expect a dramatic change. Secondly, we could experience a powerful compulsion to speak. And what you see throughout the book of Acts is that so often being filled with the Spirit is very, very closely linked to being compelled to speak. There's a kind of a courage that seems to come with the power of God. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. And in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happens. They're filled with the Spirit. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. It's like, in comes the Spirit of God and my mouth's open and I start to speak. And in fact, there comes a point in Acts chapter 4 where the Sanhedrin are trying to shut it all down and they arrest Peter and John and they put them in prison and they bring them out of prison the next day and they just say, look, just shut up, will you? For goodness sake, just shut up. Just stop speaking about Jesus. And they try and apply all this pressure and Peter says this in Acts chapter 4 verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They can't help it. They've received the Spirit of God. They're utterly powerless. They have to speak. And actually there comes a point where it's getting really difficult for them to speak. And and, and it's clear that the Sanhedrin are applying as much pressure as they possibly can. What is their response to that? Their response is, I'm going to get myself in a room with a bunch of other Christians and we're going to ask God to fill us with his Spirit again just to make sure that we don't shut our mouths. We need the power of God. And so that is actually what happens. 
verse 31. After they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. There it is again. The link is absolutely clear. You receive the Spirit of God. You are compelled to speak. How, again, how brilliant would that be? How completely brilliant would that be if some of us tonight left here just being compelled to speak to the guy at the bus stop on your way back to the student halls or, where, you know, uh, you drop your car off at the garage tomorrow and you're just speaking to the guy. Do you know, do you know Jesus? I don't know. I mean, how amazing would that be? Oh, my voice went very high then. <laughs> Last one. A personal encounter. It's not wrong to talk about the Holy Spirit as the power of God, but we need to understand the nature of the power. It's personal power. It's the personal power of God. It's not like the force in Star Wars. Hands up if you've seen the new Star Wars film. Hands up if you thought it was brilliant. Hands up if you didn't like it. Get out. (laughs) How dare you. You know, in Star Wars, it's like the, you get a thing, you, you get the force. Right, and it's like this, well, it depends. If you're a purist and you only really appreciate the, the first three Star Wars films that are made, then it's like this spiritual, impersonal force. And then if you watch those rubbish films they made in the 90s, then it's something to do with midichlorians or something like that, where we don't, we don't listen to them. Uh, so the force, impersonal. The Spirit of God is not like that. The, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the person of God. And we don't really have time to, to flesh that out much other than to say that throughout Scripture the Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit hears, the Holy Spirit loves, the Holy Spirit rebukes, the Holy Spirit can be grieved, the Holy Spirit intercedes. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. And so when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we're encountering God himself. But more than that, Whenever we encounter the the Spirit of God, he brings us closer to the Son of God. And actually, we think we're encountering only the Spirit of God, but he draws us into encountering Jesus the Son. I love this moment, John chapter 14. Jesus has been with his disciples for some time, and then he says to them, "Uh, just so you know, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. And you can imagine the disciples thinking, oh, that's just great. You know, that's just brilliant. Thanks very much, Jesus. We've just left our fishing boats. We've left, left our tax collecting booths. We've given up our terrorism. And we're, you know, we've decided to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. And now you're telling us that you're only going to be here for a little while longer and then you're going to disappear. Brilliant. That's just great. And then Jesus says, no, no, it's okay. Verse 16, I'll ask my father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And you can imagine thinking, yeah, that's nice. You know, that's nice. You're going to send another advocate, the spirit of truth. But Jesus, we really want you. We want to know you still. And so he goes on to explain what it is that the Holy Spirit will do. He says, verse 18 of John 14, I'll come to you. Verse 19, you'll see me. Verse 21, I'll show myself to you. Verse 23, my father and I will come and we'll make our home with you. Verse 24, he'll remind you of everything I said to you. Do you see, it's so brilliant. When we're filled with the Spirit of God, actually what we get is an encounter with Jesus. Again, 
Why would we not ask God for that? I'm sure that there's a whole bunch of people in the room tonight who are just saying, I'm so desperate to encounter Jesus again. And of course, we'd love to pray for you. Let me just finish with this. Um, We've had a lot of weather recently, haven't we? A lot of weather. Uh, And... um, uh, there were whole nights and nights where I couldn't sleep because of the, just the noise coming from the wind. Anyone else in that situation? Yeah, it's just horrendous. And, and uh, we've got a little, um, what do you call it, like a, a patio set in our, in our uh, garden, a kind of table and four chairs. And I've got, a, this is, says more about me than anything else, but I've got a particular way I like the table and chairs to be arranged. Uh, I like, you know, I just, it's no good just putting the chairs randomly around the table. I want them to be exactly opposite each other and 90 degrees to the next one. Hands up if, if that's how you would like your patio set. No, uh, well, some of us, anyway. So, anyway, the point is, every morning, come down, dressing gown, pyjamas, and what do I see? I see that the wind doesn't really like the way that I arrange my chairs, because they're all over the garden. And so I go out, and I put them all back how I like them, and then a few hours later, there they are, all over the garden again. Wake up the next day, all over the garden. I'm getting the impression that the wind doesn't really like the way that I arrange my chairs. And so I've had, I had to come to a conclusion in the end, a decision really, which is... Do you know what? The wind can put my chairs wherever he likes. When you encounter the power of God that comes into our lives like a hurricane, we have a decision to make. And it's this. Am I going to have to keep control? Do I want to have everything just how I like it? Do I want my life to say exactly as it is? Or can the wind of God blow and do whatever he likes? Can he rearrange my life? Can he put my life back in whatever fashion he likes? Can he relocate me geographically? Can he change the way that I live? Can he change my motivations, my behaviours, my dreams, my ambitions, my hopes? Can he do whatever he likes or not? And we have to decide. Why don't we stand?